and welcome to another evening of Frank Conversation here on Hard Copy, coming to you from our studios in Abuja. I'm Maokwe Ogun Yusuf. A happy new year to you from all of us here on the Hard Copy team. It's the year most Nigerians have been waiting for, the election year. Barely had the 2019 elections been concluded than another round of permutations began for those who would emerge as political contenders for the different elective positions, the top of which is the presidential office. 2023 is here now, and the polls will be conducted in a little over 40 days. Beyond the polls, however, how can Nigeria make its democracy work for it? In the years of military rule, many yearned for a civilian administration. But 24 years down the line, there are questions as to whether or not this democracy is delivering on the promise of its benefits for the greater majority. On Hard Copy tonight, I speak with one who is no stranger to reflections to help us examine even more critically as we head to the polls a month plus from here on, on why it's important to truly take in the significance of our election day. Father George Ehusani was the former Secretary General of the Catholic Secretariat of Nigeria and is the current Executive Director, Lux Terra Leadership Foundation, Abuja, as well as his current chaplain. Father Ehusani, welcome to Hard Copy. Thank you, Maupere, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Well, it's interesting that, you know, we planned this interview a little way before the visit happened, but just during the week, we saw the Catholic Bishops' Conference visiting the president to, you know, pay him what some might term maybe an encouragement visit, you know, asking him to uh, continue the work on security. They say that they can see that there are signs that um, Nigeria is capable of doing more in, in the area of security. Um, and they're asking him to do something about the economy and also to deliver on his promise of uh, credible elections. Beyond what they say, beyond what the Catholic bishops themselves said and the, um, the exchange they had with the president, what other significance do you think that such a visit serves? Well, I mean, it has been the um, practice of the Bishops' Conference of Nigeria to now and again during their meeting, this is their annual meeting, so uh, they are actually uh, having an administrative board meeting and members of administrative board knowing that elections are uh, up upcoming to see the president to raise some concerns, as you said, to encourage him, but also to raise some concerns about increasing incidents of insecurity as we are heading towards the elections um, and, and encourage him to do more, as you said, to do more because we do have the capacity to secure our people. An opportunity to see the president um, is to discuss with him, look, encourage him, urge him to say, we can do more. Rally around the whole security architecture to ensure that people feel confident on election day to go out to vote. And then, of course, uh, the Buhari regime will be there till May 29th. So they still have the responsibility of governance. And so to let them do what they are paid to do, do what they were elected to do, secure the people, uh, work on the economy that continues to go down. People's lives are getting more and more difficult. And then we keep hearing of billions or trillions and trillions of indebtedness, uh, national debts, 
uh, debts owed to Nigerians, debts owed to uh, international organizations. And it's like, with, at this rate, are we really going to have a country? What can you do as president in the uh, five months that you have to ensure that the country does not continue to go down? I believe that these are some of the things. And then to, um, to assure the president of their support in whatever way we can, uh, support by speaking, constantly speaking to the people. For example, there's a lot of um, very high expectations now that immediately after the elections, the economy will be transformed. Educational system will be transformed. Healthcare will be transformed. Well, it will be part of any responsible religious leader to moderate those expectations. Encourage people to go to vote. Encourage people to vote according to their consciences and to vote the right people. But also let them know that what has been destroyed in the last 24 years of democracy will not be fixed in six months, in one year. So encourage people to let our, our expectations be moderate expectations. Because if the expectations are too high, unreasonably high, what will happen is that there may be a crisis not long after the elections or not long after the new government comes in. Because we know that they are not going to perform any magic. And that every one of us needs to be involved in bringing suggestions as to how do we get out of the present mess with regards to corruption. Unfortunately, the Buhari regime that came on the platform of fighting corruption, fighting uh, uh, insecurity, they succeeded in doing none of it. In fact, things are worse. I mean, we hear of people, we never heard of people stealing hundreds of billions from government coppers. In fact, the people who are supposed to secure the economy. Um, and every day, in fact, we are uh, assaulted every day with news of monumental corruption. Well, you say it's worse. So some people say it's always been there. I mean, you, and then when you talk about what democracy, or what has been destroyed in the last 24 years of democracy, um, would you say that our hopes have been misplaced um, with how we're practicing our own democracy? I think um, there are ideals when it comes to democracy, like the Greeks say that uh, uh, democracy is the government of the people by the people for the people. But what is not added is that it is an enlightened uh, population that runs democracy. People who are so poor and so ignorant, they can't, they can't participate. They can't be part of a real democratic governance. Because see what is happening. We see in the social media, politicians are, are, are attempting to buy people's PVC off people with 2,000 Naira, because they need that 2,000 Naira. Now, you don't run a democracy seriously in an environment of destitution, abject poverty, near destitution, where people can exchange their votes for 2,000 naira. Now, what do you, can you really call that democracy? But in the, the ideal of democracy is that a wife can vote against the husband if she is convinced that the policies of the husband's party are not according to her conscience. But will that happen in Nigeria today? So what I'm saying is that the environment, we are still running some form of primitive feudalism. And it is the primitive feudalism that allows one man to own so much, and the people say, oh, it is God that has blessed you. 
and the, the majority of people are dying in poverty, with poverty. Are you saying that these two sort of mentalities cannot coexist? Uh, so some people there will, needs to they, be... They will disagree with you. They will disagree with me, but that's the truth. The truth is this. If it is government of the people by the people for the people, the people must participate. They must participate politically, economically, socially. They must be part of the governance system. They cannot, it cannot just be winners and losers. It has to be that we are all involved and that we are part of the commonwealth and the common will. So, a situation where you have one person owning half of the village, or his wealth is more than that of half of the village, that is not allowed in a democracy. In a proper democracy, those who maybe worked very hard to make a lot of money are taxed in order to support the, uh, the poor people. There is no real democracy where you have 90... Okay, today we are talking about 63, 64% of the Nigerian population living with multi-dimensional poverty. Now, that's not acceptable. 63, 64 people... And that is coming from the National Bureau of Statistics. So it is not acceptable. What it means is that we are talking of people who will have uh, malaria and may not have money, may not have 3,000 naira to buy malaria drugs. That's not acceptable in a proper democracy because... It is about fairness. It is about justice. It is about social inclusion. But even in the feudal, and in, in the times of the feudal leaders where uh, they ran the government themselves. It, it was benevolent. Exactly. They, they still had to still, they had to stay there with the support of the people. And a leader whose reign was, uh, was tyrannical, the people found a way. There was a system through which that leader that could be overthrown. That is why some of us believe that actually the traditional system that the, the so-called modern democracy is supplanting, it was more benevolent in many ways. I mean, we know, for example, that people like Aminu Kano of Kano fed close to 500 people every day in his house. People knew that when they go to his house, they would eat. He did not have walls around his house. We know the story of Adedubu in Ibadan. We know that chiefs down south here, you could go to a chief's house if you are sick and he will take care of you. So it was a feudalism, but it was a benevolent kind of system where the more successful people knew that they had the responsibility of taking care of the less successful, materially successful people. But we are running a very brutal, brutal system today. One, the rich person surrounds himself with walls and, 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 and uh, uh, dogs and, and iron bars and so on and so forth, that the poor people don't have access. So even if he has food or she has food enough to throw away, the poor people around him or her cannot have access to that food. That's a very brutal system. And there is no social welfare. There is no welfare for the person who is aged and is not on pension. There's no welfare for the sick. There's no welfare for people who are handicapped, the people who are living with disabilities. And yet, in the same country, there are people who are so rich that they are jetting all over the place in business class, first class, and have houses in the UK, in Dubai, in the US. And they are worth millions. In fact, there are individuals in this country whose personal budget is more than the, the budget of their state. You see, it is leaders that help to design the kind of society that will be good for their people. See what some leaders in this country did with retirement benefit of governors. So it, it, they, they were able to put it in their statutes that when a governor retires, is entitled to uh, the same salary for his life, is entitled to house in Lagos, in house in Abuja, is entitled to so many cars, and so on and so forth. If they can make that law in their state, 
Why can't they make it law in their state to support the people living with disabilities, to support aged people, to tax the rich in order to support the poor? They, they're not interested in that because it is, it is not in their selfish interest to get the wealthy taxed in order to support the poor. It's not in their selfish interest. So the point is that we have not really been blessed with sufficient enough real leaders. I'm just, for this program, I'm coming from a workshop where we were discussing leadership with high school students who are preparing to become prefects. We were discussing leadership. What is leadership? And I had to apologize to them on behalf of my generation. On behalf of the people of my generation, I'm talking to 14, 15, 16 year old, olds, and I apologize to them that people of my generation have not given you good examples of what leadership is all about. Leadership is sacrifice. Leadership is the pursuit of the common good, often at my own expense. But a lot of people who are running around looking for leadership positions in our society want to escape poverty using the people, using the resources of the people. How many people have you seen in this country who have been ex-governors, ex-senators, ex-whatever, and who are living in poverty? None. Hardly any. Because they use the opportunity of going to public office to loot public resources. And we have not gotten to a stage of really calling the people we put in positions to account, calling the people who find themselves in positions of power, calling them to account. And not waiting for, I mean, for me, the first thing to be done is to remove that section of the Constitution that talks about uh, immunity. Because people are committing murder. People are doing everything, in the, 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 violating every law in the book. And they say they have immunity. And then they make so much money that they use the money to escape the law. I mean, people are, people from 2007, when the, those in the Obasanjo regime finished their, their, their term, there are cases that have remained in court, cases of corruption. We are told that out of the 36 governors, 31 of them had cases to answer. Though some of those cases have remained in court till today because they have money to keep, hire the best lawyers and keep adjourning and adjourning until some of them die and there's no evidence and then we move on. Now, those are areas that we need to look into seriously. And finally, I will say that those who are going in for public office in Nigeria, the president of the Medical Association of Nigeria raised the point, and I would like to highlight it. They need to be put through psychological tests. They really need, I mean, we need to campaign that they should go through psychological tests because we have drug addicts that, are, that want to go into office. We have people who are not well. I mean, to have mental illness is nothing, it's nothing terrible. It's like having diabetes or having anything. But people need to be examined because we can't have somebody running our affairs who is a drug addict. It's not good for us. And there may be many of them. That's why the president of the, of the Nigerian Medical Association says they need to be taken through that if somebody is going to be a chief medical director of a teaching hospital, he is normally taken through all those tests, medical tests and psychological tests. Why would we let somebody be a senator? Why would we let somebody be a governor or head of state without going through the same tests that you compel the chief medical director of a hospital to go through? Why? Oh, but let me take you up on INEC. It was a long... Would you, would you let me speak up a little more on this uh, um, psychological test because it's, a, it's quite a serious it's, it's issue. I just wanted to link it with the fact that the monumental corruption in the society may actually be linked to some imbalance upstairs in the I, mind of many people. I, know, I do know that former EFCC chairman, Mrs. Farida Waziri, 
did also emphasize that. And I think in recent times, the chairman of the NDLEA, too, has also asked Marwa that, did, yes. Yes, that politicians be taken through some tests to be sure that they, too, are clean. And that's the, because of, the of what on, they see. On, on drugs. People like Marwa, he was a governor. Yes. And then he's now in charge of uh, NDLEA. Yes. It is because of what he's seen. And he may be seeing some politicians going, some people going in for high office who may have serious issues, mental illness issues. It's very dangerous. So we need to campaign that these people need to go through these tests. Thank you. Well, let me take you up on INEC. I mean, a lot of people were very optimistic, I mean, about the Electoral Act. We have a totally, a brand new Electoral Act 2022, as a matter of fact. It was just signed in January last year. Um, and the, the introduction of the beaver seems to have been exciting a number of people. Uh, we've seen the conduct of the elections in Ikiti and Osho, and even in Anambra, difficult as the terrain uh, was. I'm, I'm wondering, how, how, what, are you optimistic about the introduction of the beavers and, and, it, and how it will affect the conduct of the polls in general? Well, many of us are optimistic, and we commend the president for signing the electoral law, law into, I mean, act into law, and uh, the electoral bill into uh, law. And then the introduction of beavers, we commend INEC for the work that they have done. I think from what we can see, a lot of effort has gone into making sure that the next set of elections are free and fair to a reasonable degree. Unfortunately, we still have, like I said in the earlier part, we have a lot of ignorant people. I mean, we still see that in certain parts of the country, you have people who don't know their left from their right, and they need to be helped at every point. Right, I mean, it's supposed to be a secret ballot system. But when people, when you have a lot of ignorant people who don't know their left from their right, they need to be helped right up to the thumb printing, or put your thumb here. Now, from that point of view, uh, it kind of compromises a lot of what we are talking about. Whose fault is that? Is that the fault of the electoral the, body? Because no, no, it's not the fault of the electoral that body. There needs if to be people, more education, etc. If people are so ignorant that they don't know how to put their thumb where, unless they are helped by people, then that's not the fault of uh, INEC. It's just, it just shows that the kind of democracy we say we are running is for people with a little more enlightenment than a lot of our people today. But we are hopeful that they will deliver. Um, we are not supposed to be able to do too many crooked things with beavers because it's supposed to have biometrics and, and all those kind of things. Facial recognition. Facial recognition too. So with that, we are hopeful. It is true that even these IT things can be hacked, but people at every stage in this coming election, there will be observers. So I am hopeful that with all that INEC has put in place, that they can deliver a fair election. However, the next challenge is security. Will there be enough security agents to man each polling booth? Do we have many enough to man each polling booth? Traditionally, the police manning tra uh, polling booths are not armed. They are supposed to just be there to observe. And if there's any crisis, they call for reinforcement, they call for whatever. But with what has been happening in the country and in many parts of the country in recent times, I think that um, the security architecture should brace up for action and be prepared for crisis 
in any polling booth in the country. Oh, there are those so who have complained about, you know, the militarization of our elections and they think that there should be no... Well, the, the environment is already militarized. It's already... I mean, the, the environment is heated up already. Uh, see what is happening in Imo State, in Anambra State, and in several other states. Um, see what is threatening to happen in Kogi State. I mean, before elections, we're already having bomb explosions in Kogi State. And we are having threats from high-level people to cause violence. So if on that day you do not have security agents, armed security agents manning polling booths, then all kinds of uh, um, atrocities can, can, can take place. Let me take you up on this, um, uh, on what you expect post the elections. Uh, we see that there's some work by the Peace Committee to ensure that uh, candidates sign up to, uh, you know, to peaceful polls and put, commit to peaceful polls, violence-free elections, etc. Uh, but we know that the nature of elections generally are divisive. We've seen um, examples that we should not see even in countries that are supposed to be the bastions of democracy. In the United States, uh, Brazil recently had its own episode. Um, and in Nigeria right now, we have a four-horse race. Do you think that we're doing enough internally to be able to uh, calm nerves and to say that, you know, pass the message that there needs to be a country even after the polls in February? Um. The network and advocacy group of uh, Luxterra that, that, that you belong to, we are working hard now to see what we can do, especially in flashpoints, to ensure that indeed we have a country after the elections. And to calm down people who are so agitated today, to know that, look, we, we pray that the people you expect to win will win. Work hard, campaign. Do all you need to do legally and peacefully to ensure that your candidate wins. But be prepared. In case your candidate does not win, that's not the end of your life. That's not the end of the country. That should not be the end of your life. And it should not be the end of the life of anyone. Uh, and, and here we should remember what uh, good luck Jonathan did when he said that my desire, my ambition to be president is not worth the blood of any Nigerian. And we need to applaud him for that and continue to remind Nigerians that your desire to be a senator, your desire to be a governor, your desire to be a president is not worth the blood of any Nigerian. So we need to keep encouraging Nigerians that there will be a Nigeria after uh, the elections. Therefore, let us conduct ourselves peacefully and let us do all we need to do before the day of the elections to... Um, to campaign, to help the politicians campaign for the candidate of your choice. Don't sit down there and fold your arms and expect your candidate to win. Do all you must do legally and peacefully. However, when the elections are conducted, and you should be there, you should be there, stand afar off, but be there to ensure, every Nigerian has the responsibility to ensure safety of this election. If we allow things to be destroyed, then, right now, the country has failed to such an extent that our children and grandchildren may be paying the debts that we are, you know, uh, taking now, the, the, the foreign debts we are taking now. Now, if we now go and blow up everything and destroy infrastructure and kill one another, then the division in our country will be deeper. The pains, the hurts, the acrimonies will be worse. And then we'll spend another set of years trying to heal the wound of our elections. 
of the violence of our elections. No, we need to keep pleading with one another. First of all, the leadership. The leadership on election day, okay, president is going around campaigning for his party now, but around the elections, he has to be a neutral person to ensure that the elections are free and fair. Then all the governors, we need to tell the governors of every state, you may be APC, you may be PDP, you may be APGA, whatever you are, just ensure that on elections day you are a neutral person. That's what it means to be a governor. You are a neutral person. And you accept whatever verdict come, uh, comes out of that uh, uh, exercise. Because before now, we're already hearing some governors threatening their people, threatening their people that if, if you do not accept my candidate, it will be violence. Now, that's irresponsible statement of some government, and we know them. And I'm saying, our security agents, is it because of immunity that some of them have not been seriously uh, challenged, questioned? Now, every governor has the responsibility of security of his state. Therefore, I will suggest that days to the election, they should be having broadcasts, pleading with their people, and telling their people that, look, even you who are my followers, in case my candidate, my preferred candidate does not win, that's not the end of Nigeria, that's not the end of our state, that's not the end of our, uh, our country. Therefore, peaceful conduct of the election should be what every leader is preaching all over the place today. Father George Husani, thank you for coming on Heart Thank Country. you. Okay. God bless you. Well, that's the program tonight. Questions, mails, and comments are welcome to the handle showing on your screen. Thank you for watching. I'm Maupe Ogun Yusuf. Once again, have a very happy new year.